You're listening to theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Hallo, herzlich willkommen in Friedrichshafen. Hello and welcome to the third in the podcast series recorded at the 2008 Outdoor Trade Show at Friedrichshafen, Europe's largest gathering of manufacturers, distributors and designers, totally focused on the outdoors industry. If gear, technology and clothing is your outdoor thing, then this is the place to be to see what is being launched or worked on for 2009 release. Rose, I and our European correspondent Roman Ackle spent several days meeting, greeting and chatting with old and new contacts to discover more about the products we will all be seeing on the shelves in the very near future. In this podcast, we focus on technical developments in the outdoors world, something that Roman enjoyed immensely, as he used his German mind to get all the important details for our listeners. He speaks with Paul Harding from ACR regarding personal locator beacons, with Frederick Gundelach from Heat Gear about a new way to heat water, and with Christian Pirisch from PowerGuy, and discusses the technical issues around solar recharging panels. But first, Mike's story from SatMap took him through some of the new developments on this very popular GPS satellite mapping unit. Uh, I'm standing here in front of the booth from uh, SatMap. Um, as you remember, SatMap has been introduced last year at uh, the outdoor show here in Friedrichshafen, and it has been a great success, especially Chris Townsend mentioned it last year as one of the major inventions in terms of GPS. And it's my privilege now uh, to talk about the new developments for 2009. And uh, maybe I'm, I'm talking here with the, uh, one of the product managers yep. for the unit. That's right. My name's Mike Story. I'm the head of sales for Satman Systems Limited. And Roman's quite right. We've had a very successful year since launching in October of 2007. And we've got a lot of new developments and exciting things happening with the product, both from a hardware and a software perspective. So can you tell us a little bit more what your plans are for 2009? Sure. From a hardware perspective, um, we've been continually uh, developing the product. We've improved the antenna reception already in terms of uh, getting a quicker GPS lock and um, keeping that lock um, under any uh, level of tree canopy cover. And we're very happy uh, that of the uh, levels that we now achieve, and we'll continue to improve that. We'll also be then developing software um, in terms of mapping. That's the big push for us for 2009. Um, by the end of 2009, we will have the whole of Europe mapped for the unit. And, um, that, and alongside that um, goes hand in hand with distributing the product throughout some European countries. But for any UK customer, um, that will mean that they will have the opportunity to uh, buy into maps of any tourist destination that they go to within Europe. And uh, in terms of uh, software for the unit itself or its operating system or some enhancement uh, in terms of hardware, anything planned for 2009? Yeah, we know. We launched literally this week uh, 1.2 software version, which has gone live on our website as an upgrade to any SatMap user. Um, that's in increased the stability of the product um, uh, from a software perspective. We are developing a postcode locator um, option um, for the product also, which we will hope to have live by the end of 2008. 
and we're also then putting a lot of development into our website um, which is in its phase one at the moment phase two will go live again hopefully by the end of 2008 and that will include a route sharing um, and a route planning platform to allow customers more flexibility with the unit whether regardless of whether they want to plan routes either on the unit as they can do currently or actually on the PC and import and export them through using uh, SatSync software. Right. Uh, in terms of the hardware of the unit itself, so do you plan any changes, for example, for the GPS receiver itself or adding a, a capacity touchscreen uh, like something similar to the iP iPhone? Um, in terms of the unit itself, we're very happy with the quality of antenna and very happy with the, the hardware itself. In terms of touchscreen, that's not a route we would go down. Um, if you talk to anybody from a military background about touchscreen, they will tell you that it's not ruggedized enough um, for outdoors use. So touchscreen is definitely not the right way for our particular unit in terms of being ruggedized for outdoor use. We will be looking to develop a solar panel um, to uh, provide recharging capability whilst in the outdoors. Um, we're working with a couple of uh, development partners in that respect at the moment. Hopefully that will come on board for Spring 09, if not before then. And that will be the main focus uh, from a hardware perspective for 09. Okay. Thanks a lot, and I uh, wish you all the best for 2009 then. Thank you. Although there were a good number of stands presenting solar technology to the industry, there certainly seemed to be less than last year. However, Roman homed into Power Guy, where he thought he saw something he recognized. Christian Pirish explained all. So I'm currently at the auto station uh, interview and I'm talking with uh, Christian Pirich from uh, the company called Power Guy. Uh, he's the director for business development. And when I passed that booth, uh, I was surprised because I, say, I thought, okay, that's a freeloader and a supercharger. But actually, uh, it's a company who produces them for the companies like Solar Technology. And uh, uh, it's not Solar Technology who produces uh, those products. They're just putting their brand name on it. So uh, I have a small chat with, uh, with Christian uh, to, to tell us, you know, what, what the history behind uh, Power Guy is and their relationship to, to other companies. And then we walk through some of the new products and development for 2009, when they will hit the shops and what the uh, 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 pricing for the, program, uh, for the products will be. So um, thanks a lot, uh, Christian, for talking to me. And so uh, to give it a start, maybe we can talk a little bit about the history of uh, Power Guy. Yes, the, the company Power Guy, so Power Guy is just the brand name of our company. So basically our company was already founded in the year 1994, so already 14 years ago, and we were specialists in developing electronic for UPS systems. And uh, we were producing many years UPS systems. We started already in 1998 to open the first factory in Taiwan. Then we opened in China also factories who produce our products. So uh, basically we were producing with the own brand name. So we have several brand names like OptiUPS and we have uh, Powerbox. So we are supplying to several companies OEM the product and started some years ago to uh, consider to do our products with their own brand name. So just for our listeners, uh, what is the terminology UPS? What does it stand for? Uninterruptible power supply. This means, this means from the technology you have a battery, you have electronic, and the power is converted via an inverter to use the PC. So you use it in the PC for server systems, telecommunication, emergency systems, but for high power where the output is 230 volts. 
All right. So in, in terms of uh, uh, future developments for 2009, uh, what, what do you have in the make? So the first thing is what we are, in the, even since last year, we are more specialized in the products now for mobile power. So this means we are focusing more to power every device which is outside, which is in mobile use. So for 2009, the most development is going to a new solar product and to make them much smaller and more flexible for the users. So this means because today the biggest problem is if you want to carry power is the size and the weight. And for this, so like today, if you see even solar chargers, which are quite small, like this freeloader, our products, this. So the basic is mostly that you need to have 10 to 12 hours to recharge the product. And this is normally for the people which are outdoor is much too long because maybe you walk four or five hours, but then terms to charge is maybe maximum six hours. So the technology that we are doing is even we have now a new charger which is available in two months that can recharge even with very small panels in six hours fully some batteries to recharge the mobile devices. Okay. Can you uh, please go into some of the technical specifications for that product, please? Yes, the basic is there will be a special a special new monocrystalline panel, which makes the panel much smaller, so that there will be the efficiency in the light. In By using the sun, will be not like the standard panels, 15% will be around 25, even to 40% in the sunlight. This makes possible that the energy convers conversion is much better. So then there will be a maximum power, so you can have by the same space, but you, you need less time to recharge. And in terms of uh, the battery capacity for for uh, the, the the battery pack that is plugged in, did you increase the uh, storage capacity of the battery too? Yes, we have two. Uh, we will have for such products. We will have always two or three options. So this depends also on which channels we are selling, because even the battery capacity depends on uh, the time of charging. And the problem of some lithium polymer systems is if you increase the capacity of the the battery inside, it does not means that. For example, 1,000, 1,500 needs just 50% more. The problem is sometimes it needs 100% more because the charging is not linear. It's sometimes going and then after some hours first, the really charging process is starting. And so this depends on the customer needs. Like, for example, we built now a lot. We have a subsidiary in Africa. We build for them special systems, so the system must be charged in four hours. So the battery is less, but they prefer to have two times charging at the day than to wait eight hours until the first charge can be done. All right. Um, in terms of, uh, of, of charging capacity, uh, so let's say you, you take a normal mobile phone like what is currently available, a BlackBerry. Uh, so will, you, will your new uh, devices for 2009 be able to fully charge an empty BlackBerry in one go? Yes, on one go, yes. And uh, one of the problems in solar technology is always when it's not fully full of sun, uh, uh, when it's not fully sunning, shining, uh, that, uh, you know, when it's cloudy, uh, it takes uh, a much longer time to, to, to load something. Uh, with, with the new cells you're using, will that uh, problem go away, at least to some extent? The first thing is what, what is changed, for example, the product that you see from us also, which is the, the freeloader product. Product, it's a quite older, older technology. So this means also there are inside some electronics, some LED to show when the sun is lightning. And this needs a power consumption. This means even these LEDs takes already 10% of the power of the solar panel.
panels, just to show. So this is the first thing. So this means everything you do new is to put away this electronic, that the charging process is faster. The second one, what you need to use is more better panels where the efficiency is much better. So this is available, but now we are able, because of the quantity that we are producing, also to build into the systems at the same price level. This is the most, it depends on the panel technology, not only in the electronic bytes. So, final question from my side. When will those uh, new uh, products be available in for 2009? When will they hit the shop and what will be the retail price? So, the products that we have considered for 2009, we should be also available already for Christmas 2008, what we are considering. And the end user price will drop down so that we consider that the prices will be around 20 euro even for the starting solar power systems. And uh, they will go up to which price level for your more sophisticated products? We say we have we we split in two groups. One is we call it is a urban solar power. This means where really the people use in the cities somewhere, maybe even outdoor, but not the real outdoor applications. This will be around the 20, 25 euro for the full set with all cables, and it will go up to the outdoor environment where the battery is a little bit higher. The solar panel more efficient will be around 30, 35 euro, something like this price. We consider that the price level will go down now because we are producing a big volume for African market. And the second one is also we are trying to get the end user price lower because then the quantity for the buyers will be also higher. So obviously solar uh, technology is one of the main topics uh, at this outdoor fair combined with uh, recyclable materials and natural fibers used in, in clothing. Um, how, as somebody from, from the market, how would you see that development? Would you see that increasing over the coming years even? Yes, the market will increase because now the solar technology is going more to the end users, more to the private use, and then it's coming more popular. Also due to the prices which are dropping, so more interesting for the products. But finally, what we see is the market will be developed very fast because now all the companies which is a brand name, even if they manufacture windows, if they manufacture sports bags, all will try to focus in this market. They just buy some components like the panels, building the bags, or they charge something. So you will see in the, in, this, in the years there will be many who will offer such products. But finally, at the end, there will be two kinds of companies available. One who produce the panel and the second who produce the electronic. And hopefully we are the one who produce, produce the electronic. <laughs> okay, for that I wish you all the best and uh, thanks Christian for the interview. Yes, thank you the same. New products or ideas at the show seemed very thin on the ground. However, this simple unit from Heat Gear stood out as something rather fresh. A completely new way to heat water in the outdoors, and one which could have many applications, which Frederick Gundelach was more than happy to explain. So I'm actually standing here with Frederick Gundelach. He's the CEO and member of the board of a company called Headgear APS, located in Denmark. And they uh, developed a very exciting new product in the area of cooking. So uh, I will hand it over to Frederick to explain us a little bit about how it all came about and the benefits of the product. So, Frederick, can you tell me a little bit about Headgear? I'll do my best. For six years, we've been working on the very best way of heating water for freeze-dried rations and hot drinks. And we have been working with some of the most demanding clients within the defense in order to do the most uh, effective, best performing 
the safest and the easiest uh, personal stove to use. And what we have come up with is a what we call the flameless revolution. We have made a flameless stove that is completely new in design because we have no uh, flame. We heat from the inside out, which means that we are capable of heating within uh, winds and temperatures when it can be very, very difficult to heat water for the freeze-dried uh, rations. And okay. that's uh, basically what we have been working on. So ease of use, safety, and high performance. So, so maybe let me explain what I see in front of me. It looks like an ordinary uh, Nalgene type of water bottle. Um, actually, they are in, uh, in two sizes with the same uh, heating unit, uh, 0.5 liters and 1 liter. And the unit itself, the heater unit, is inside of that bottle. And, uh, well... Actually, what, what, he, what he told us is you, you need no kind of windshield, uh, there's no open flame, nothing to burn your fingers with. Uh, uh, that's uh, pretty interesting. So it works uh, on a catalytic version, and uh, he will talk us through how it actually performs, uh, how you start the process. Yeah. What you actually use, because we have been going through the process of how do you ordinary heat water for, for your freeze-dried rations. And what we are doing here is that we don't need any setup, we don't need any preheating. So what we do is that we attach our gas canister on the heat stick, use our igniter to turn on the process. It takes about five seconds and mount it to our water container and the process has started. And what you need to do from now on to its uh, boiling is virtually nothing. We have automated the process of heating. The gas is automatically adjusted, and when the water reaches 90 degrees Celsius, the process automatically stops, which gives you, as a user, the benefit of having your heating unit within your backpack, so your downtime is dramatically reduced for the heating, so you can walk while you are heating. So, um, in terms of, let's say, if you, if you put, uh, put some water out of a little river, let's say two degrees Celsius, how, how long probably does it take until it reaches 90 degrees? If we were talking about uh, two degrees Celsius from a river, we are talking six to seven minutes. But also, pay in mind that uh, you can do it while you're walking. So, you don't have to sit up or anything and then... When our heat stick has uh, finished heating, you don't need to cool off or anything. You can store it in your backpack right away. And uh, if I understood you right, the heat stick itself uh, is not really linked to, to those uh, hard plastic uh, water bottles. You can also use uh, platypus type, Nalgene type of uh, soft water containers because the heat stick itself is protected so it would not melt the plastic material of those types of water containers, right? That's totally correct. We have done a lot for the safety. All the hot parts have been shielded, so you as a user won't burn yourself, but also, as you mentioned, you can use them in, in soft water containers. So, and because the threading is kind of standard, it will fit on uh, which type of uh, water containers? 
it will fit uh, Nalgene. It will fit on uh, Camelback uh, hard plastic bottles. It, the thread also will fit uh, standard mechanical water purifying uh, filters as well. So it's very versatile. So you mentioned in the introduction that it will run uh, with uh, uh, a little gas cartridge. I see that in front of me. It's uh, well, it's a little big, like uh, like a small uh, canister of hairspray, actually, from a size perspective. So I've never seen that so far in the outer shops. Uh, how how would you get hold of uh, that uh, gas canister? It's specially developed for for the heat stick, and uh, in order to get a hold of it, you can buy it in the shops, uh, where you can also uh, pick up your your heat stick or you can uh, buy it uh, from the internet okay so uh, in terms of capacity how how much uh, oh how many liters of water can you heat up with uh, one of those gas canisters from the gas canister you can uh, heat up uh, six liters we are heating up uh, one liter on uh, 10 grams of gas and that is uh, from the real world uh, conditions so we are totally immune to the wind and the temperature so this is The 10 grams per liter is under very, very hard conditions. So, Frederick, uh, in terms of the case that people probably lost their heat stick, their, their, their gas canister for for your uh, for your stove or <laughs> heating unit, um, do you consider alternative options like you know preparing an adapter that uh, would allow them to use uh, conventional gas canister stove which are already available? Uh, in the shops like from MSR Primus? We are certainly considering that one. Uh, presently, we got a special adapter uh, for our heat stick, but we are looking into making a uh, secondary uh, accessory uh, to adapt standard canisters. But of course, if we're doing that, you can't have the advantage of the mobility of our heat stick concept. But even though it gives you the ability to use standard canister, if, as you uh, mentioned, uh, lose uh, our fuel stick. So we're definitely uh, looking into that one. So and if I understood you right, uh, it would be need uh, to be placed beside the, uh, the unit, not uh, screwed on top as, uh, as, as your heat stick? That's correct. Uh, the reason why we have also made our special threading uh, for the heat stick is a safety uh, concern for the user because you can't use a standard canister uh, on top to, to fit it on our heat stick because it then will deliver uh, liquid uh, gas and we are using uh, vaporized gas. So in terms, uh, you make that final decision and uh, develop that adapter type of version. What is the realistic time frame? When would that be available then? I would say it should be uh, ready for the release in about uh, the second quarter of 2009. So when will that product be available in the shops uh, throughout Europe and what will be uh, the pricing for it? We hope it will be available uh, in the second quarter of 2009 in the shops and the recommended uh, retail price is around 190 euro. Thank you very much and all the success with your new product. Thank you very much. The interest in personal locator beacons is certainly growing if the UK outdoor magazine coverage is anything to go by. Whether we actually need them or not is open to discussion. However, I'm sure there have been many, many times when travellers anywhere in the world would like to know they could hit the panic button should they need to if they found themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time. Paul Harding from ACR Personal Locator Beacons explains more. 
I'm standing here at the booth of ACR. Uh, they're making personal locator beacons or PLBs, which are very popular in the US, but uh, entering the market now uh, at a broader range in Europe too. Uh, obviously, there has been a lot of uh, information recently about the spot uh, unit, which is not the same as a PLB, but uh, at the end, probably uh, you know, trying to achieve the same purpose. And I have uh, Paul Hardin with me, who's the vice president for sales and marketing of ACR, who is the leading manufacturer of PLBs. And I would like to uh, ask him what he sees as the main differentiators between something like the spot and his PLBs. Well, thank you, Roman. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to explain what we do. The PLB, or personal locator beacon, the primary differences are between us and SPOT is that a PLB has a dedicated purpose. It is really a single-use device for use only when all other means of self-rescue have been exhausted. Um, it's a, it transmits uh, at 406 megahertz to a dedicated satellite system, two different satellite systems that are put up by uh, an international COSPAS SARSAT uh, satellite agency that's uh, dedicated to one thing, search and rescue. We've been building 406 megahertz beacons for ships at sea and for aircraft for 20 years now. The system is extremely robust. 25,000 lives have been saved worldwide. Uh, very successful system. Uh, it's a global system. We give you complete coverage everywhere around the world. Um, and um, so the, the, the purpose for the COSPAS SARSAT system is to come up with a, I don't want to use the word fail-safe, but nearly fail-safe device because uh, I'm sure there's some way to make uh, to defeat the system, but uh, to be quite frank, in the thousands and thousands of activations, there are very few instances where it failed to work as intended. Uh, it's a 5-watt transmitter, which means it's extremely powerful. It's going to work under tree canopies, it's going to work out of canyons, it's going to work at the North Pole, the South Pole, and everywhere in between. Uh, it's a device of last resort, If uh, and the problem that we see with the tracker is the tracker is first and foremost a tracking device that also has a 911 feature and it may not work when you need it most. Um, so in order to, to look at those additional functionalities, do you as ACR plan to introduce something like tracking functions also with your PLBs? Well, the answer is we are looking at that and we can do that, but we would have to do that on a commercially available satellite system. The COSPAS SARSAT system is dedicated for humanitarian purposes only. It's used by all the aircraft, all the ships at sea, and all of the militaries of the world for, for humanitarian purposes only. We can't really use that system for uh, a commercial endeavor like tracking. and uh, But we are looking at other systems, other satellite systems for that very purpose. Um, and uh, but, but there is a distinct difference. Our device is a, is a uh, the personal locator beacon is a life-saving product that will work when you need it most. There's no question about it. There's no subscription. There's no fee. Once you buy the piece of equipment for the rest of, for as long as you own the equipment, you push the button, someone's going to know who you are and where you are anywhere in the world in a matter of minutes. Uh, and so if we were to introduce a tracking device, it would be on a subscriber-based model, more like the spot model. So, and in order 
you know, to add up those tracking functionalities. Would that actually mean you you couldn't use your current hardware at all, or would that mean you just add on a, a let's say a separate GPS chip who uh, records the GPS data for the tracking information? Yeah, no, the GPS we could use the same GPS receiver, but we would have to add different hardware for the transmitter. You may know, and I don't want to get over the top, but uh, most of the uh, commercial satellite systems operate in the L band, which is a very high frequency. And uh, so, no, we couldn't share any of the 406 megahertz hardware. We would have to add a new transmitter into that unit. Uh, but we could share the GPS receiver. We could get data, data from our GPS, but we would have to transmit it on a new transmitter. So in terms of rescuing somebody, it's extremely important that you know where he exactly is. Uh, and you said you use a GPS uh, chip, obviously. Uh, what type of brand? Is it a Silvstar 3, an Atmel, or what, what type of uh, chip do you use? We use, uh, we use several different chipsets, and basically our chipsets are uh, proprietary designs. Uh, they're cold start optimized. If, you have, if you're familiar with GPSs, when you turn them on, you have to tell them kind of where you are. It takes them a long time to acquire. In an emergency, you may not be able to do that. And so we have approached this, the design from the standpoint of, uh, of uh, we want high sensitivity, so we have an ultra-sensitive receiver, and then we've optimized. We use a type of software uh, protocol that assumes that, that there's no data available, and it goes out and it collects the ephemeris data very, very quickly. So we call it cold start optimized. We can usually acquire in about 45 to maybe uh, 120 seconds from activation from a cold start. So it's, it's It's a very unique GPS receiver in that particular sense. Um, the other issue is the GPS for us is secondary. The, we also, the 5-watt uh, signal is very, very stable over a broad uh, temperature spectrum. The satellites that, that receive this actually triangulate and locate the source of the signal using a, a, a technique called Doppler shift. So even if there's no GPS available, let's say under a heavy tree canopy or in certain meteorological conditions or in a snowstorm or if If you're in a snow cave uh, and, and, and GPS is not able to be received, the satellites that receive the 406 transmitter still can locate it by virtue of this Doppler shift triangulation technique. Uh, and quite frankly, we've only been using GPS since about 2000 in these beacons. And the beacons have been around, quite frankly, uh, as, as far back as 1972. And we used Doppler shift initially. And it's, it's actually a much more robust and reliable way of locating a person. So in terms of an emergency, how can I uh, imagine how it's working? So uh, uh, a signal will be sent to, I guess, some, a center somewhere in the U.S., and what's happening then? Actually, it depends. Uh, in the U.K., for example, there is a mission control center in the U.K., and each beacon is uh, coded with a country code. So if you were to buy it in the U.K., it would be coded U.K. You would register it with the U.K. government. There's an agency called the uh, U.K. MCC. You would register with them. When you activate the beacon, the system would recognize that your beacon, even if, let's say, you were located in, you know, pick a place, somewhere in, in Saharan Africa or, or, or wherever the case may be, the system is going to say, wait a second, this is a U.K.-registered beacon. It's going to transmit that signal to the U.K. The U.K. government will receive this. They'll know who you are. They'll know that you're in Africa, and they will immediately contact the appropriate authorities in Africa. Africa to initiate a response. The other thing you can do as a part of your registration is you can go in and file a trip plan online. And 
and uh, you can you can identify where you're going to be, when you're going to be, and if you're on some rally or if you're in some canoe race or some sailing race or you're in some uh, extreme eco challenge or maybe you're just trekking, you know, through Latin America, you can put that information in the start dates, the stop dates. You can tell them where you're going to be and give uh, searchers, uh, rescue agencies, the opportunity to come get you. The other thing that's important to note is that um, the underneath the United Nations, there's some 153 nations that have signed treaties agreeing to rescue citizens from other countries, provide humanitarian relief. And so pretty much, with, with very little exception, almost anywhere in the world, you're going to have the local search and rescue come get you at the request of your home government. They're going to contact them, and that's kind of how the system works. You push a button, the satellites locate you, route it to the U.K. The U.K. would contact the uh, appropriate people in Egypt or Saudi Arabia, and they, they would then come and get you as a concession to your government. So when I see here, you, are, you advertise the uh, new unit or the re mo most recent unit, which is uh, the ACR-406. The Microfix, yes. Yeah, and uh, so how much uh, will it cost uh, for Europe? And uh, I guess it will be available already. It's for already available, and you can buy a Microfix in the UK for in the five, 500, 550 pounds. Okay. And as you said, no subs subscription fees. For buy once and use forever. That's it. Buy it once and use it forever. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for joining us in this podcast, and thanks also to Paul, Frederick, Christian, and Mike for taking a few moments away from their busy schedule. To find out more regarding other podcasts recorded at the show, make sure you return to the Outdoors station on a regular basis to hear more, or use iTunes to subscribe to the shows and never miss out. So until next time, folks, take care out there, and remember, get outdoors. This independent programme is produced and hosted by theoutdoorsstation.co.uk.